0: handout this evening, appreciate that good song, that last song there, God holds the future in his hand. When we look at the future, there's nothing like the future that shows exactly who we are and who God is. Proverbs 27 and verse 1 says, Boast not yourself of tomorrow, for you do not know what a day will bring forth. God knows. God knows. He holds the future in His hand, and so therefore we do as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us to do, we trust in the Lord with all of our heart. And we never lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, we acknowledge Him. And we know that He will direct our path. Sam, appreciate that last song. God holds the future in His hand. This evening, our focus will be simply... On what we call the eternity chart. The eternity uh, chart. Sometimes Bible subjects have such a wide range of ideals and passages uh, connected to it that it's good to have a chart. I think one of the most valuable things you can do when you're teaching someone the gospel is to create you a little chart between the Great Commission and the book of Acts and show that there's a great consistency between what Jesus said to go and teach and what people are to do to be saved and then show how that is completed in different ways um, conversions of people in the book of Acts that type of chart is very helpful but then also when we think about eternity perhaps a chart can be helpful I encourage you as you have an opportunity to take this chart and you can add to it take this and find one of those blank spaces blank pages in your Bible and, and write this down, because it will serve you well in the future as you, as you study on your own, as you sit down with somebody and study. Uh, this, this will be very helpful. So the first thing that we'll do, um, we'll go over this eternity chart, and then we'll notice a uh, few lessons that we can derive uh, from what we uh, see here on this chart. The eternity chart. You know, uh, we're so conditioned in this life to think of seconds, minutes, days, months, and years. But God calls us to think about eternity and to live for eternity. The rest of the world won't do this. But God calls us to do this. And I believe that's why there's so much emphasis here in the New Testament on eternal things. And so, as you can, we'll go over this and also have, if I can remember, the thing about it is, Nancy, will I be able to do two things at once? Will I be able to look at this and then remember to advance the PowerPoint as well? It gets kind of challenging sometimes. All right, here we go. Uh, first one is uh, eternal, the eternal past. The eternal past. For example, in Titus chapter 1 verse 2, Paul writes, In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. That's the eternal past. God... Who cannot lie promised eternal life before the world began. Literally, there, uh, times eternal before the world began. So there is etern- the eternal past, the eternal past. Okay. And then, of course, there's the eternal God. Romans sixteen verse twenty six talks about, uh, mentions the eternal God. First Timothy one and verse seventeen. Talks about Jesus being our King. He is eternal. He's immortal. He's invisible. He's the only wise God. And to Him be glory forever and ever. So Jesus is our eternal King. Also, Hebrews chapter nine fourteen talks about how Jesus, through the eternal Spirit, offered Himself uh, with His own blood, offered Himself uh, for our sins. So there's the eternal God, the Father; eternal Son, the King. And then the eternal spirit. God uh, is eternal. And then Mark chapter uh, 3 and verse 29 mentions the eternal sin. The eternal sin. That's a very interesting study in and of itself. The eternal sin. Blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. We may study that one evening uh, together. The eternal sin. Uh, Next, notice uh, the Bible speaks of eternal life. Eternal life. John 3, 16. You know about this. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Everlasting life. Jesus promises to those on his right hand that they can go away into eternal life. Eternal life. Matthew 25 and 46. This is the most popular use of the word eternal in the New Testament. 39 times The New Testament mentions eternal life. Eternal life. Thirty-nine times. All right. Next, notice from Hebrews 5 and verse 9. uh, Eternal salvation. Eternal salvation. Speaking of Jesus, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all those who obey him. So the Bible speaks of eternal salvation, eternal salvation. And then notice also eternal covenant, Hebrews 13 verse 20. Hebrews 13 verse 20 speaks of Jesus being the great shepherd of our souls, Hebrews 13 and verse 20, and how that uh, through his blood of the eternal covenant, he equips us to serve him and to live faithfully. So through the blood, Jesus' blood of the eternal covenant, uh, Jesus uh, equips us uh, to serve him. Beautiful passage there in Hebrews 13, verse 20. It speaks of the eternal uh, covenant. And then Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, talks about the everlasting gospel, the eternal gospel, everlasting uh, gospel. Uh, John sees an angel, an angel is... Uh, in a symbolic way, bringing the eternal gospel to the earth. And that eternal gospel is to be preached to all people, all nations, all tribes, all, all people of all languages. Okay. Beautiful little uh, thought there. So eternal gospel there in Revelation 14 and verse 6. And then eternal tabernacles, Luke 16 verse 9. A very unusual parable Jesus gives there where basically he teaches that we are to use the temporary things that we have in this life to prepare for eternity. So he mentions there in Luke 16, verse 9, the eternal tabernacles. Tabernacles. And then next, there is the eternal house. We love to talk about this. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 1. The, the eternal house. If the earthly house of this tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Very comforting passage there. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, the eternal house. And then next from 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18, eternal things or eternal realities. Uh, for this cause, we, um, we don't look at things which are temporary. Uh, we don't look at things which are seen. Things which are seen are temporary. We focus on those things which are not seen for they are eternal. So there's the eternal things, eternal uh, realities that we build our lives upon. Okay. Eternal things. And then next from Second Thessalonians 2 and verse 16, eternal comfort. Eternal comfort. What a great verse this is where it says that Jesus and God the Father, they have loved us and they have given us eternal comfort. Comfort and they've given us good hope through the grace of God. Second Thessalonians 2, 16, eternal comfort. Eternal comfort. And then from Hebrews 9 and verse 12, eternal redemption. Jesus entered one time into the holy place, not with the blood of goats and calves, but of course with his own blood. And he offered that blood without blemish, uh, so that we can obtain, we can be assured to have eternal uh, redemption, Redeem- eternal redemption from our sins. It's Hebrews nine verse twelve, and in a similar way, from Hebrews uh, nine fifteen, we have an eternal inheritance. We have been called; those of us who have been called by the gospel and received the gospel, we have the promise of an eternal inheritance. Hebrews nine and verse fifteen eternal uh, inheritance. And then Peter mentions in second Peter 1 and verse 11, the eternal kingdom. On that day, on that day, we will richly um, be able to enjoy an entrance into the heavenly or eternal uh, kingdom. Oh what a day that's going to be. Well God will deliver up his kingdom. Jesus will deliver up his kingdom to God the Father. We'll have a rich entrance into that eternal kingdom. Eternal kingdom right there in 2 Peter 1 uh, verse 11. And then uh, 2 Timothy uh, 2 verse 10 Paul speaks of the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. With eternal glory. So there's the eternal glory. Eternal glory. As we read uh, our Bibles, we come in contact and we see examples of the glory of God. Won't it be great to be in that heavenly kingdom and be able to be right in the midst, the very presence of the glory of God? There is the eternal glory. And then next on your sheet, notice that Hebrews 6 and verse 2 mentions the eternal judgment. Eternal judgment. Once we receive the judgment on that uh, last day, then there will be no turning back. That will be, uh, that will be our judgment from, from then on. And it will last forever and ever. Second Thessalonians uh, 1 and verse 9 mentions eternal destruction. Those who do not submit to God, do not obey the gospel, will suffer eternal destruction away from the presence of God. And in a similar way, the next one is, from Matthew 25, 46, eternal punishment. Eternal punishment. So 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 9, mentions eternal destruction. And then uh, Matthew 25, 46, you know what Jesus said? He said those on his left hand will go away into eternal punishment. Those on his right, um, the sheep, will go into eternal life. And then notice here from Matthew um, 18 and verse 8, the eternal fire, eternal fire. You remember Jesus saying, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, causes you to sin, then cut them off. Cut them off. It would be better to enter into life, halt or maimed, than to have both your hands and both your feet to be cast into eternal fire. Matthew 18, verse 8, eternal uh, fire. Okay. This is really just a sample. I'm sure there are other uses of the word eternal, but this can certainly get us started. It's a good chart to get us started um, as far as an overall look at eternity. We want to focus now for the next just few minutes on some obvious lessons that come uh, to our minds, as we think about these different eterni- eternal realities. Okay? Lesson number one is this. God's righteous nature does not change. The nature of God, who He is, is unchanging. Unchanging. We've noticed from Romans sixteen twenty six, God is eternal. 1 Timothy 1, verse 17, that Jesus... Uh, the King is eternal. The Holy Spirit is eternal. God in His righteous nature does not change. In a similar passage, Hebrews 13 verse 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. That passage there in Hebrews 13 8, just simply teaching that as the Lord has been with those in the past who, who were persecuted for their faith, so encouragement to the Christians there in the area of Judea, who were scared of being persecuted for their faith, they were to to stay strong in their faith, stand firm in their gospel, in the gospel, because the Lord will be with them also. God's nature simply does not change. Some look at the Bible and say, well, in the Old Testament, God was a God of wrath, and in the New Testament we find a God of love, but not really, not really. If you you read closely, you'll see that God was a God of mercy and compassion in the Old Testament as well. For example, Psalm 103, verses uh, 10 through uh, 14, points out that as a father is compassionate to his children, so the the Heavenly Father is very compassionate to us. Uh, He looks down on us in mercy. He remembers that that, uh, we are but dust, and he is anxious to forgive us of our sins, and when he forgives us of our sins... He cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. So far, he removes our sins from us. Psalm 103, verses 10 through uh, 14. God is very compassionate. And, and the Old Testament uh, uh, servants recognized that as well as they knew that God was a God of judgment as well. Also, in, in the New Testament, we find out that, that God is still a God of judgment and, um, and wrath, even under the New Covenant. For example, in 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 4 through 9, uh, Peter reminds us that as God didn't spare the angels that sinned, as God did not spare the people in Noah's day, as God did not spare the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, so 2 Peter 2, 9, Peter says, God will not spare the unrighteous today. That God knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation, but he also knows knows how to punish those who are unrighteous on judgment day. So God's nature uh, does not change. Romans 11, 22 mentions the goodness and severity of God. We mentioned this morning how that, you know, God delivered his uh, eternal covenant, the New Testament, 2,000 years ago. And those ideals, those um, commandments, those instructions are still very much alive uh, today. God has always had a commission for his people both in old times and new. Remember Isaiah 6 and verse 8. Who will go for us, the Lord asked. And Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. Second Peter 2, 5 says, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. You see, in old times and new, God had a commission to go and teach his ways to people. Ezra chapter 7 verse 10. Remember Ezra came back to the land and and, uh, he had prepared and set his heart that he would study the law and he would know that law and then he would teach those statutes to other people. When David was confessing his sin, Psalm 51 verses 10 to 13. He was asking the Lord to restore a right spirit to him, restore to him the joy of salvation. Then he said, Lord, if you will do this for me, then I will teach transgressors their your ways, and I will uh, help them to be restored unto you. See, God has always had that ideal in mind. And then when John the Baptist came on the scene in the New Testament he was preaching the kingdom of God Jesus in Matthew 4, 17 he was preaching to ke- repent he said and, but the kingdom of God is near and Jesus sent you know this morning when we mentioned um, the disciples coming back and having the, they had the spirits be, being subject to them and they were very happy about that Well, Jesus had sent his disciples out on a limited uh, commission there about 70, 72 of them and he, he had told them, look, the harvest is, is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of harvest that he will send more, send more laborers, workers, into uh, the harvest. And of course, Jesus gives us the great commission today. God's nature has not changed. He's always been loving, compassionate. He's always been a God of judgment. But he's always had people out bringing his message to people so that they can enjoy the blessings of the Lord. Another lesson, lesson one then, is the unchanging nature of God. Lesson two is, um, we do not need a new gospel today. We don't need a new gospel. People are always looking for a new gospel. People feel that as times change, And as we seemingly uh, get more advanced in our ways, then the old gospel is just outdated, but never, never, never. Remember Revelation 14.6 says that the gospel of Jesus is eternal. It's an everlasting gospel. That everlasting gospel must continue to go to all people of all nations, all tribes, and all languages. It's got to go. It's got to get out. We need to consider ourselves that as we have more and more people of different languages moving into our area that we uh, strive to get Bibles and strive to get good religious material that are in other languages because this is God's mind. God's mind is, I want my word to go to people of all lands, all nations, all languages. And so we don't need a new gospel. We need need the old Jerusalem gospel. We need it to continue to be preached in its purity and simplicity. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, you remember Paul said, If anyone comes to you, even if an angel of heaven or even if any of us come to you and preach any other gospel than that which we have preached unto you and that which you have received, let that person be accursed. Let that person be accursed. That's the same message for today. John said in Second John verses 9 and 10, Whoever goes onward and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. He that abides in this teaching has both the Father and the Son. And if anyone comes and does not bring this teaching, then do not receive him into your house and do not bid him greeting. That sounds pretty serious and God is serious about this. We don't need a new gospel for a new time. We need the old gospel for all ages until the Lord comes again. That's the second lesson. First lesson is God's unchanging nature. Second lesson is that uh, we don't need a new gospel. Third lesson is to think about this old body that we're in. God made us in two different ways. He, he made us a, a kind of a dual um, creation. Uh, we have an outer body. and We have an inner spirit from God. This outer body is not meant to last. Now it is meant to live on earth and it is a remarkable creation but it's not meant to be eternal. 2 Corinthians 4 uh, verse 16 For which cause we think not though our outward man is perishing our inward man can be renewed day by day. And then notice the contrast of that to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1 where Paul says if this earthly house of our tabernacle, our body, be dissolved if we die, we have a building of God. A house not made with hands, eternal in heaven. When he says a house there in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1, he's not talking about there's a mansion now waiting on me. He's not talking about that. He's talking about your body. He's talking about how that on judgment day that we'll receive a new body, that resurrected body, will be a new body. And compare that to Philippians 3 and verse 21, where uh, Paul says that this lowly body will be changed unto uh, a body like unto Jesus' own body, his glorious body. And that will happen by the power of God, the very power that subjects all things unto God is the very power that will change this, this mortal body, this corrupted body, into a body like unto the Lord's body itself. Resurrected body. I tell you what, when we leave this earth, it will be the best world ever. It will be the best situation ever. It will be the best environment ever. And it will be the best existence ever. You haven't seen anything yet. This new body is beyond comprehension. It will not be subject to decay. It will not be subject to death. It will not be subject to sickness. And it will be in that situation forever and ever. So lesson number, whatever it is, three. Lesson three. Is to have great hope in that new body. In that new body. Lesson number four. From this eternal, uh, these eternity thoughts this evening. Lesson number four. Is to think about how the eternity is endless. It is endless but there's a great balance to this endlessness okay great balance just as eternal life is endless and it is it is everything that is wonderful about heaven will be endless but so is so is the other side as Jesus makes it clear there in Matthew 25, 46. The goats on my left hand, he said, they will go into everlasting punishment. The sheep on my right hand into everlasting life. And so both realities are endless, endless. The destruction mentioned in 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 9, that's eternal. Destruction there means for something to be ruined. For something to be ruined. Have you ever lost something only, only to find it outside somewhere and it's been outside for a long time? It's been the rain and the storms and, and the tracking in and out and, and the mud and basically the elements have just ruined that thing. Well, that's just a tiny fragment, a tiny ideal. A a tiny speculation of what it will be like to be given a new body that will connect, reconnect with your soul, but you're a wicked person now. You're a wicked person. You see, the resurrection of the new body is for both the wicked and the righteous. The righteous will receive their new body and then go into a wonderful environment, but the wicked will receive an an eternal new body to go elsewhere. And that will be a a body of ruin, a destruction. So the destruction and the ruin and the punishment and the fire is endless, just like eternal life uh, is endless. And that's part of what we must share with our fellow citizens. We must share this with our neighbors. We must share this with our family members because this is what the gospel has for us to learn. And so lesson number four is to think about how endless eternity is. Lesson five is to remember that we have blessings now and we'll have blessings then. In fact, the blessings which are now can be enhanced then in eternity. I love to think about this. I love to think about it. And the words are unmistakable in our New Testament. For example, would you say that we are redeemed from our sins right now if we have come to Christ? Yeah. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says we have redemption in Christ. We We have been redeemed. We have been bought out of a sinful bondage situation because of the blood of Jesus. Okay. we've been redeemed out of our sins. Well, Romans 8.23 mentions an eternal redemption, and that's the redemption of our bodies, you see. So there's a redemption that we enjoy now, but there's also a redemption we're going to enjoy in eternity. Let's live to think about that. It is a great, great assurance to know that we're redeemed now, but how much more it will be How much better it will be to not only be redeemed in our souls then, but also to have a new body and to be in a brand new environment. Yea, in the very presence of the Lord, an eternal redemption. Eternal, eternal redemption. We can have um, a satisfaction that we are forgiven of our sins now, but we're still in this body and we're still facing temptation. But when we get there, then, we'll be out of this body. We'll be out of this world. And we will be serving God forever in his place. And so there are blessings now that will be enhanced then. That's a good way of saying it. Blessings now that will be enhanced. Then, think about the idea of salvation. Would you say that in having come to Christ for, um, for salvation, that you are now saved? Yeah, you are. Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. 1 Peter 3, 21 says, the light figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us. We're now saved. But there's a sense also in which once we live faithful between now and eternity, now in the end of life on earth, then we'll be saved then. Notice again what, what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 10. He says, for this cause I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. What's Paul talking about there? He's saying, why do I endure and remember there in 2 Timothy, Paul is about to die for uh, his faith. He's going to be executed for his faith. He says, why do I endure these things? Because I want. Members of the Lord's body, the elect, to receive the salvation with eternal glory. It's not assured yet. We're on our way. We are saved in order to be saved. We are redeemed in order to be redeemed eternally. Same thing with our inheritance. Romans uh, eight sixteen and 17 says, If we are children of God, then we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. That's a wonderful thought in and of itself that we are children of God now. But also there's an inheritance waiting on us. 1 Peter 1 verse 4 says that heaven is an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you, for all of us. Okay. So we receive um, an inheritance now when we're saved from our sins and as we live faithful, but then... The end of our faith is an enhanced inheritance that can only be found uh, in heaven. Does this make sense to you? Yeah, it does. Okay. Would you say that you have received the gift of grace now? You would. By by grace we've been saved through faith, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But Peter says in 1 Peter 1 and 13 that um, we ought to set our hope fully on the grace that will be revealed to us, be brought to us uh, at the day of Christ, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if we think we know how good God is now, which we do, and we grow in that, That's nothing compared to what we will know about God and his wonderful goodness when we get there uh, in heaven. All right, nothing about that. No, it's not. No, it's not. Think about this. When we're baptized into Christ, we are baptized into his body, which is the kingdom. Okay, when we are born of water and the spirit. John 3, 3-5, we're, we're put into the kingdom of God. But, notice what Jesus says in Matthew 24 in verse, um, it's not right, it's 25, Matthew 25, 34. He says, uh, come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom which has been prepared for you since the foundation of the world. So the kingdom that we're in now, we're very blessed. We're very blessed. The family of God that we are uh, associated with now, eh, innumerable blessings. But just think about what that kingdom will be in eternity. Just think about that. Think about being able to uh, hold hands and be in association with each other in heaven, having known that we, ha- we are there, the very thing we've been living for all these many years and all this, the struggles and all the hopes and all the desires will be fulfilled, not just with brethren that we've known, but with brethren we have not known. Not just with brethren that we have known and not known, but actually with people that we have been reading about and reading... Um, Concerning uh, what happened in the Bible times Old Testament, New Testament they will be there there will be an incredible kingdom association we have that now but uh, that will all be enhanced in heaven and so lesson number five is blessings now enhanced in heaven Remember what John says in 1 John five thirteen. He says, brethren, I write these things unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. That's part of it. We can know that we're going to have it. And we've got to be faithful. And we've got to grow. And we've got to endure. And we've got to do more. But we'll get there. Lesson number six. Just two more lessons. And you can breathe a great sigh of relief. Two more lessons. But I love this. There's just a step into eternity. We're living for eternity, and sometimes we feel like the eternity's a long way away, but really it's just a step. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, judgment. Hebrews 9 27. When David was being pursued by Saul, there we read about it in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 20. Verses 1 through 3. He and Jonathan, is ha- they're having a conversation about how that Saul wants David dead. And David said, look, Jonathan, there's just a step between me and death. Just a step. Jonathan's trying to assure him, no, I'm not going to let this happen. But David knows the full intent of Saul. And he makes this statement, there's just a step. There's just a step between me and death. And we know that to be true. We know how precarious life is. Man that is born of woman, Job says in Job 14, 1 and 2. Man that is born of woman is a few days and and full of trouble. We know that to be true. Final lesson is about the comfort. I've got to come back. And as I was looking at these verses, do you ever do this? I found some verses. I thought, have I ever read that before? I know I have, but man, it just didn't jump out to me. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.16 talks about the eternal comfort. I beg you to look at some of these passages there in 2 Thessalonians, but especially chapter 2, verse 16. It talks about Jesus Christ and, and God the Father. And They have loved us and they've given us some things. And one thing they've given us is this eternal comfort. Eternal comfort. How can we put that in words? I I know how to get some comfort. I know how to get some comfort. There is some pretty good comfort food, isn't there? Do you ever look forward to some food? You know, if I never get a hold of this food, I'm going to have at least a few minutes of satisfaction. Okay. Now, for me, late at night, if I have a good piece of buttery toast and a good bowl of oatmeal, I'm in hog heaven. (laughs) I just love it. I just can't get enough of it. I'm just telling you. I could eat um, bacon, toast, and eggs every day, three 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 times a day, every day. It's just comfort to me. It's just comfort. Who cares what else you say about it? It's just comfort. We know how to derive comfort on a short-term basis. Can you think, though, about having an eternal comfort no agony no agony just eternal comfort that's what God wants to give to us I mentioned this morning three books there's really four there's really four there's a book mentioned in Psalm 56 verse 8 it talks about our tears but it talks about how that God has a bottle and a book what does he do? He puts our tears in this bottle, and he records our tears in his book. In his book, God has a special book where He knows our concerns, He knows our worries, and we don't have to, we don't have to dwell on them because He's taking care of them, and He's going to use that to provide an eternal comfort for us, forever and ever, up there in that glorious. Uh, land, the upper and better better place. Of course, we could say a lot more, but this is it. Seven lessons that we derive from this uh, eternity chart. May I encourage you to take this chart, use it, read through uh, these passages, uh, put this down somewhere, and may it be a good reference for us as we continue to grow uh, in the Lord. We invite you to come home to him this evening. And if if you have any need, uh, this is the place to let that be known. Uh, We're gathered together as the Lord's family. We are talking about the very best things in life, the eternal realities, the eternal home, the eternal gospel. And so we have the tools that we need to help each other go to heaven. Would you come right now as we stand together as we sing?